Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel today, which comes to us out of the gospel of John, chapter 21. We read verses 1 through 19. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, well, we'll all go with you. So they went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, then cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord! When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger and you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as scripture is read, as word is proclaimed, help us here with joy what you say to us this day in your name. Amen. We continue our worship series entitled The Seven Next Sayings of Jesus Christ, Finding Hope in the Resurrection sayings and we're exploring some of the things and some of the interactions that Jesus had with the disciples after the time when he rose from the dead and today is a very 
unique, very personable experience. One event that Kate's brothers and cousins and I like to do every year, usually around Christmas time, and she's already shaking her head. We like to go on a little overnight campout that they coin Crazy Cousin Campout. And so her brothers and cousins started this a long time ago when I married into the family. They gladly invited me to come along. And, and we pick a night, like I said, usually around Christmas if we can get it, but we've done it in the spring. And, and we, would, uh, find, we would plan the night to go to camp out and to have a night of fellowship and, well, I'll just leave it at fellowship. <laughs> That's all I can say this morning. So the first thing we would do when we get to the campsite is uh, um, most of us would uh, scout the little area to find where to set up the tent. And Michael, Kate's youngest brother, he's an Eagle Scout, so his job is to get the campfire going, first thing, while the rest of us set up the tent. And that fire that we get going as soon as we get there becomes the centerpiece for the entire evening. Kate reminds me that it is the centerpiece of the entire evening because every time I get home, she says, you smell like campfire, go take a shower. <laughs> because we spend the night gathered around the campfire. That fire becomes the centerpiece. People have been gathering around fires for millennia. It brings people together after a long day. It provides light and warmth for the body and for cooking. It serves as a beacon and as a deterrent to unwanted creatures of the night. Even the word campfire has developed a meaning beyond just being a noun used to describe the actual fire. It becomes an event. Campfire has become an event. How many of you have campfire stories from years past? How many of you have other stories that have led to campfires, whether good or bad, Roy? How many others have stories of fellowship and other activities that occurred around campfires that you remember to this day, but you enjoyed them thoroughly? The campfire was the center. Today in the scripture, we, we read about one such campfire story. These particular disciples had returned to Galilee, to their homeland, and they began doing the only thing that they knew how to do. They went fishing, because that's what they did for a living. That's all that they knew how to do. Perhaps the idea to go fishing was not just something that they knew how to do, but perhaps this was one of comfort for Peter. Or perhaps it was just simple because they were hungry. Whatever the case may be, maybe, just maybe, they felt lost without Jesus. And thinking that their mission was over because the Savior had died, they went back to doing things the way they had always done them. They returned to status quo. They would soon find out, though, that simply playing it safe and, and doing the things the way they always did them would produce nothing. Because they fished all night and they caught nothing. Folks, how often have we 
the church been guilty of falling back to doing things the way we've always done them? Casting our nets from the same side of the boat, daring to even call it fishing. And we catch nothing. Hello? Then the disciples heard and saw a familiar figure and heard that distinctive voice on the beach. And he asked the question that started the conversation in the campfire experience. Ahoy out there, have y'all caught any fish? Now, do you think Jesus already knew the answer to that question? <laughs> yeah, he knew. Of course he knew. Jesus asks us sometimes seemingly annoying questions that we know he already knows the answer to, but he asks us anyway because he wants us to start thinking about our own realities. Jesus wants us to think. He's not worried about the answer. He's worried about what is comprised in the answer. Are you with me? Say amen. The reality for the disciples and for so many of us is that when the mission gets tough and actually requires some hard work that, that we don't know how, we don't want or aren't willing to do, then at times we go right back to casting from the same side of the boat where we continually catch nothing. And we keep doing it expecting a different result, yet we continue to catch nothing. This is not a feel-good sermon, y'all. <laughs> this is a challenging sermon. Most of y'all have learned by now that whenever I preach on Sunday mornings, I'm preaching to myself in the mirror, and the rest of y'all just have to listen. And hopefully you hear something that sticks and that, that means something to you. Jesus, Jesus has a solution to the disciples' problem as well as the church's problem today. And Jesus' answer is so simple yet so profound. Cast the net on the other side of the boat. Duh, right? Cast the net on the other side of the boat. When a disciple did disciples did this they caught so much fish they couldn't even pull it up i couldn't imagine not being able to pull up a net and now i've never went net fishing but i grew up cast netting with my dad and when you pull up your net you can tell how much many shrimp are in your net by how hard it is to pull that sucker up and i pulled up a net with nothing and i pulled up a net that had a pound of shrimp in it and that net was taking me because i was young and dad had to grab me he said i was gonna let you know but go but i was getting them shrimp The nets were full. If seven disciples couldn't pull that net up, do you realize the weight of that fish? It's something we don't think about. They struggled to, to shore where Jesus was already waiting around the campfire. Peter said, see you, I'm gone. As soon as he realized it's Jesus, he went swimming and left them to bring the fish in. That's how excited he was to see his Savior. And when they got to the, to the, to the, the shore, Jesus said, bring some of that catch and let's... Let's cook them up. And so they gathered around the campfire to fellowship with a meal. 
But as we've seen so many other different times in Scripture, whenever you eat with Jesus, it becomes more than just a meal, doesn't it? Whenever you dine with Jesus, just like we do here on the first Sunday of every month, it is more than just a meal. That meal with Jesus and the disciples became a sacrament. It became an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. I can imagine the time that they had together just uh, eating and perhaps laughing and giggling with Jesus, maybe cutting up a little bit. If they had a Roy in the mix, they had to be careful. They were really cutting up. It was that more than just fellowship part around the campfire story. Maybe they sang songs. Maybe they told stories. They reminisced. And then Jesus had to go and make it awkward again. Jesus leans over to Peter and says, Hey, Pete, come here. Do you love me? And Peter's like, Yeah. Yeah, Jesus, I love you. You know, love ya. You know, there's a difference between love you and love ya. Just ask a youth nowadays. He says, yeah, I love you. Well, Peter, if you love me, feed my lambs. And Peter's like, oh, okay. Several moments later, what happens again? Pete, Jesus leans over to Peter and says, hey, hey, Pete. Are you sure you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, Jesus, I love you. Yeah, I really do. And he says, well, then if you love me, take care of my sheep. Peter's like, hmm, okay. And then a third time, I can almost picture it. Whenever Jesus leans over and says, hey, hey, Pete, I can picture Peter saying, oh, what does he want now? Is he going to ask me that same dang question again? Can you picture that in your head? He leans over to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And probably filled with a little anxiety and irritation, Peter, I can picture it this time, he stops for a minute though and doesn't respond for a couple of seconds and he says, now I get it. Now I get it. Yes, Jesus, I really do love you. You see, there's a difference even though he asked the same question three times and Peter asked him the same question three times. There is a difference in the way that the response happened. You see, the first two times that Peter said to Jesus, I love you, he was using the Greek word phileia, which means the type of love that one has for a friend. A ya, a love ya. That's a phileo type of love. But the last time, when Jesus really got Peter irritated and anxious and thinking, remember Jesus asked us annoying questions to get us thinking? Sometimes he asks the same question over and over again. This time, Peter got to thinking. And he says, ah. And he uses the word agapeo. Or perhaps many of us know the tense that it's used as agape. More so. He said, yes, I love you. Agapeo. Which is a love that literally means unconditional and without boundaries. Unconditional and without boundaries. It is an all-consuming and without restriction or expectation type of love. 
To love agapeo is to abandon the notion of self-interest and to trust in God's all-consuming plan. Then in one final dramatic moment, after Peter finally got it, Jesus leans in and whispers ever so delicately, follow me. Everybody say it. Everyone sat in silence as they witnessed, once again, Jesus' call to move beyond the familiar and go forth in his name. This put the disciples in, in whole new territory. They realized that their time around the campfire was meant to inspire them in passion for their shared calling. Their unique journey together gave their friendship depth and breadth, building among them a covenant of both experience, of purpose. The narrative defined them and gave them peace for the difficult journey that they knew they had ahead. Sometimes the campfire experience, whatever it looks like for us with Jesus, it's the experience that we need to have in order to know that we can follow Christ. No matter the difficult circumstances that we know lie ahead. The narrative called them to follow, yet it bid them also to go. To follow him means to go into the world. To go into the world means to reach those who have for so long been unreachable. To reach the unreachable means transforming, means revolutionizing the ways of the world. It means bringing the world into the ways of Jesus, not trying to conform all of us into the ways of the world. Someone say amen. That meeting around the campfire with Jesus represents so much more than just the discussion and the fellowship and the food that was had. It represents the church that would be formed out of his bidding to the disciples to go. And that church whose seed was planted around a campfire while eating fish and having the sacrament of holy communion again for the last time, that church was the seed from which all of us today sprouted from it made possible the day of pentecost and from the day of pentecost we celebrate as the birthday of the church but this was the seed that planted the birthday to come are you with me the church is not primarily a building the church is, is not an organization. The church is not an institution. But the church is a net for spiritual fishing. The church is a net for spiritual fishing. And we must cast our net on the other side of the boat if we want to catch anything. That means trying something new when what has worked perhaps for years is no longer working. That means going beyond our comfort zones. That means getting our hands dirty and serving the way that Jesus served. 
That means loving the agapeo, the agape way. That means loving the way that Jesus loves. That means never considering ourselves complete, but always looking to see who is missing from around the campfire and doing everything in our power to reach even and especially the unreachable, the unlovable, the undeserved, the ones whom no one would dare try to fish for. Isn't that who Jesus would go after? Then why aren't we always doing the same? And I'm not talking about us specifically. I'm talking about the church, the people who are called believers of Christ in general around the world. Why aren't we doing the same? Folks, here's where it gets rough. And this is where I'm talking to myself, and I hope you just find some interest in it. Folks, we continue to have the campfire meeting each week that we call worship. Same week, same day, the same time, the same people doing the exact same things. We keep casting our notes, our nets on the same side of the boat, expecting different results, and we find nothing. And Jesus keeps having to ask me, Do you love me? Folks, it's time that we cast our nets on the other side of the boat if we want to catch the uncatchable, if we want to love the unlovable, if we want to reach the unreachable, we must cast on the other side of the boat. It's time that we feed Christ's lambs in ways that they've never been fed before. It's time that we tend Christ's sheep in ways that they've never been tended before. Then and only then can we truly answer the question, do you love me, with a resounding, yes, Lord. In an agapeo-type way, yes, Lord. I truly, unconditionally, unboundedly love you. And then Jesus says, follow me. What does it look like to love in an agapeo way. What would it look like if we did that in our homes first? And if the church followed suit and loved the unlovable, set out to reach the unreachable, spread grace on those who don't know what God-like grace really is. What would it look like for us to cast our nets on the other side of the boat? This is our gospel message today. When Jesus asked, have you caught any fish? He wasn't talking about the kind that swim in the lake. He was talking about the kind that walk around that he calls his beloved children, people. So have we caught any lately? What are we doing? This is the gospel message. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.